I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common. Go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's Clash Pod New Year's special in the red corner. Can men and women ever just be friends? No is the answer, but it takes Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan 12 years of flirting and fighting to find that out as we follow the ups and downs of their colourfully verbose courtship in the BAFTA-winning 1989 romantic comedy When Harry Met Sally. Men and women can't be friends because no man can be friends with a woman that he finds attractive. He always wants to have sex with her. So you're saying that a man can be friends with a woman he finds unattractive? No, you pretty much want to nail him too. You tell her about other women. Yeah, like the other night. I made love to this woman and it was so incredible. I took her to a place that wasn't human. She actually meowed. You made a woman meow? While in the blue corner... Is there such a thing as love at first sight? No is the answer, but Sandra Bullock believes there is as she decides a gentleman in a coma is the man she was destined to marry. There's one problem. He's never met her. And more importantly, he's in a coma. From 1995, we're talking while you were sleeping. I'm not working this weekend, Jerry. Every day I go and I sit in a booth like a veal. I, I work every holiday. I go home to a cat. For Lucy, loneliness was a way of life. Joe Jr. still single. Yeah, it's shocker. But the moment she saw Peter, she became a believer in love at first sight. He was perfect. Then fate stepped in. So what connects these two films, and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. I'll have what she's having. I'm Alex A. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. 
And welcome to this week's Flirty Friends Face-Off, a.k.a. the New Year's Eve Engagement. I couldn't decide. I couldn't decide which I preferred. Both good. Two. Both really good. They're both all right, aren't they? <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. So, Victoria, mm-hmm. these were your choices. Mm-hmm. And I will say you seemed exceedingly <laughs> happy with this pairing uh, to the point that Chris and I received a message saying that if this pairing was altered <laughs> in any way, shape or form, you were going to leave the show permanently. I said, on my life, I will walk. And yep. I meant every word. Yep. But did we? Did no. we fiddle? In fact, you didn't say anything for about a week. So <laughs> I just thought, you're either really cross and you're too scared to tell me, uh, or you love these films as much as I do. Well, we'll find out. Uh, we'll find out. Uh, remind us of the clue. The clue was New Year, New Love. Oh, that's Tough. nice. That's nice. New Year, New Love. Yeah. Uh, we can't uh, reveal uh, if anyone got uh, the guesses right on Twitter. We are recording this early. It's it's Christmas time. It's New Year. So we're recording in advance just in case something happens. Uh, really? That's ominous. <laughs> <laughs> Just so we can have a break, Alex, that's all. <laughs> yeah, a break, that's what I meant. Something happens, we have a break. Uh, good. Um, so, do you want to guide us uh, through the connections then, uh, Victoria, seeing as these were your choices? Uh, why don't you tell me what you've got first? I've got a couple. All right, um, I'll start. Uh, I've never wanted a hot dog as much as I did watching these films. Nice. Both films feature very delicious-looking hot dogs. Lovely. Chris? Horrible wedding dresses. Oh, my God! So true! Ghastly. I don't normally notice that, it's... but this time I was like, wow, you've managed to make these very attractive women look very bad. Carrie Fisher looks <laughs> shocking. One of them looks like a time traveller. That's Carrie Fisher. <laughs> she genuinely looks like she's walked out of Tudor times into a wedding. <laughs> And and Chandra Bullock, who it's very difficult to make look stupid. You yep. can put her in anything. Yep. She literally looks like she's come to a, a themed wedding as Nurse Ratchet. She looks like, but also she, I think she's trying on child shoes. <laughs> it's just dreadful. Uh, good connection. Any more? Uh, yeah, uh, I've got a couple. Um, awful furniture in otherwise lovely apartments. Yes. The sofa and the wagon wheel coffee table. Yes, mm. that's good. I quite like that coffee table. We'll get on to yeah. that. All right. Mm. All right. Uh, so one more. Uh, the biggest problem faced by a single woman in history is transporting a Christmas tree. <laughs> that one's mine. Yes. I've got a single I've... women can't live Christmas tree. <laughs> lonely, lonely women struggling with Christmas trees. <laughs> they can do it. They can do everything else. They're happy. But a Christmas tree, nope. it's, it is. It's their kryptonite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they both feature people who see someone and decide they're going to marry them before ever speaking to them. In When Harry Met Sally, it's one of the talking heads, the first talking heads. That's how he meets his wife. And and that's what Sandy thinks in the second film. Um, European honeymoons, although I only know this from the deleted scenes from When Harry Met Sally. No. Yes, they go to um, Santorini and Mykonos, Harry and Sally do on their honeymoon. Oh, I'm so pleased. (laughs) I didn't know that. Uh, They both feature narration, which, as I know, is something that you like (laughs) a a lot. Massive fan. And a a weird one, obituaries. Okay. Harry finds apartments via obituaries and the family finds furniture via obituaries. Yeah. It's quite a dark little connection. That's a good one. That's, That's really good. good. Yeah. Well, the real connection is, it's quite straightforward, tell me how you really feel on New Year's Eve. But also, I would like to put these two films together because they are at opposite ends of the sort of like batshit madness that you see in rom-coms. So at one end, they're just mates. At the other end, he's in a fucking coma. So it's like <laughs> the two sort of... 
Yes, very different approaches. Um, and, you know, you know how much I love Sandra Bullock. I think this might be her greatest film of all time. Whoa. Whoa, I know. More than the next. No, I mean, this is the thing. <laughs> Obviously not, but it's... Um... Dude, this, was, this, was, this was a bumper year for Sandra yeah, Bullock. This is, this is the same. <laughs> this came out just before the net. Yeah. Wow. It's really hard. I mean, she's... We all get onto it, but she's... Without her in this film, what have you got? Well, that's Thursday's film. Yeah. That's Thursday's yeah. film. And we can talk a lot more about that because that was the film you gave me. But obviously you gave Chris when Harry met Sally. Chris, ready to take us on a journey? I am. When Harry Met Sally has a reputation as a chick flick, but it's really a romantic comedy for guys. Because this is a movie about very good-looking women falling in love with deeply average-looking men. Billy Crystal plays heartbreaker Harry, who is literally irresistible to the opposite sex. He's with a beautiful girl at the film's start, then we're told he sleeps with most of New York, then he hooks up with Sally, who is better looking than anyone in the film acknowledges, then he's dating a pretty, thin anthropologist with big tits, before finally the ever-desirable Harry talks Sally into marriage and lives happily ever after, (laughs) making this a film that isn't about men and women being friends without sex getting in the way, but rather a movie that spends 90 minutes convincing ugly blokes that they are incredibly desirable and encouraging me, uh, sorry, them, to set their heights, (laughs) to set their heights unrealistically high. <laughs> you are 100% correct. I agree with that that, that um, reworking. Was that, sort of, yeah. Was When Harry Met Sally kind of like an early version of the game for you? <laughs> <laughs> it just gave me hope. Um, so does anyone have a particularly interesting history with this film? I don't have an interesting history. It's just I've seen it so many times. I, I won't have seen it when it came out because it got, it's got more... Uh, swearing in it than I ever remember. Mm. So it's got more F-bombs in it than I remember. So I wouldn't have seen it until I was a little bit older. Um, But did you watch it when you were too young? To get it. To properly appreciate it. So the fake orgasm thing, didn't get that the first time I saw it. Just like, I know it's a famous scene, but I just didn't really know what she was talking about. So I must have been quite young. Um, And then every single, so I think Hand on Heart, I've probably seen it about eight times. And every time I watch it, including this week, I notice something different. It is the gift that keeps on giving Mm. for me. Very good. How about you, Al? Oh, I watched it as a teenager, but mm. uh, still uh, too young to get the orgasm scene. Um, I don't really have any anecdotes about it. I have some facts. Um, I watched it. Uh, I'm aware of its legacy as one of the greatest romantic comedies of all time. Um, I liked it. Uh, I enjoy the question, the central conceit. Can men and women just be friends? Um and that's all the facts I have. Okay. Okay. Wasn't expecting that section. <laughs> I think I was. I think I can see where this is going. Okay. Okay. I shan't judge him yet. Well, should we talk about the film? A yeah. Little bit? Uh, let's go into the background. So it's the early 1980s and director Rob Reiner has re-entered the dating pool after a divorce. Mm. Cut to 1985. Rob Reiner and Nora Ephron are having lunch at the Russian Tea Room in New York. And Rob pitches Nora an idea about two people becoming friends after the first major relationship in each of their lives. They make a decision to not have sex because it will ruin things, then have sex and it ruins things. Uh, Nora Ephron loved it and could immediately see the beginning, the middle and the end of the film in her taxi on the way home, she said. Um, She said it was going to be about a couple who kept bumping into each other at all the wrong moments until the end of the movie. And then she interviewed Rob and his producing partner to find out what they had been through and what they had put women through. 
<laughs> she said she heard all their sordid secrets and it was horrifying. Is this fair, Alex, of Rob Reiner and his producing buddy to give away all our secrets? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, there is a reason why we don't talk about this uh, openly and, and the reason that the conversations uh, the three of us have in the pub are very different to the conversations you and I have in the pub. There are... <laughs> They are called gender secrets, and and they really exist. Uh, what? Really? Yeah. Really? Oh, it's Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Even when you nip off to the loo, to be honest, we change the subject for two minutes. Well, I'm offended. Um, but then um, she said that she added uh, the horrifying uh, things that women think and do mm-hmm. to the script. How do you feel about Nora Ephron giving away all your secrets? What secrets? I don't have any secrets. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Your expression tells a very different story. <laughs> I don't know what she means. But we don't know what they are. In case you're worried, we haven't discovered them and have a list that we're about to read <laughs> out. Do you know, do you know what the fake orgasm thing is now? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I was going to actually say, before we get started, should we just lay out a few ground rules, okay? <laughs> so here we go. Don't ask me to fake an orgasm and don't ask me if I want to have sex with you because I won't and I don't. I... So let's just move. <laughs> I was totally going to ask her to do it. <laughs> I was going to throw it to you when that scene came up. Bugger. Uh, But what made it work was they were both being so honest with each other. Um, She's a brilliant writer, so she got to work. And so um, they discussed having them talk about work during the film, their, their respective jobs. And the pair of them decided that to keep doing that and to keep shoehorning in a subplot about uh, working life that no one cares about yeah. was completely pointless. And so they just did away with the whole thing. You hear their jobs once. Mm-hmm. And I, that's I can it. never remember what they are. He's it's per- not important. I remember because I noticed this time because I was mm. like, I wonder what he does because he seems he seems like that's a really nice apartment uh, yeah. that he has. Uh, I got a bit envious. He's a political analyst. He is. Although he doesn't strike me as a political analyst. He's smart though, isn't he? Yeah. He's very fast. I can imagine him sort of help writing speeches and things like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. But that's why it's so good because their jobs are not important. Mm. So there's no artifice. There's no ticking cock. There's no convenient high concept separation. Which I'm a massive fan of a rom com that's got a big high concept engine through it. But that this is it. This is romantic comedy in its purest form. But because what? Well, there's that bit, isn't there, where it sometimes introduces quite an interesting. Plot point where they're all having dinner, Carrie Fisher, they're all sitting around the table uh, and it's introduced. And I think Billy Crystal goes, oh, uh, do you know what? Um, You know, Sally's a journalist, too. Mm -hmm. And it's quite an important point. And it takes you a moment as the audience to go, is she now? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and they do say at the start, she's gone to New York to become a writer. Yeah. And a journalist. And he makes a joke about how awful that's But you just forget because you don't see her do it. So... And you, as they say, you don't really care about people's jobs. When no. you're going to watch a romantic comedy, you want to see people fall in love. That's why people fell in love with this movie. Um, I think it's smart. Yeah, me too. Yeah, but well, you, your job is kind of, kind of, kind of important. When you look at the movie that we're talking about on Thursday, mm-hmm. it is very important that she works in a toll booth at a train station. <laughs> yeah. it, it, that is a kind of very defining part of who that character is. Yeah. I guess all you re- you don't need to know what these two do because... They're very, they're very successful people in their individual fields. So you just sort of like you'd just be looking at them, going, "Well, you're doing all right." But, but are, are we supposed to feel sympathy for you if we see you being very rich and successful and great at your job? As Vicky said, though, it's like, I would say this is like a two-hour movie where you find out about their jobs and someone's done a supercut, taken all those bits out because actually we don't really care and just got to the good stuff. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, although they have added in something else quite unusual. And Alan Horn is the person responsible for this. So Alan Horn produced the Hobbit movies. Right. And he's now the chairman of Walt Disney Studios. And Rob Reiner was round his house and heard his parents talking about how they got together. And he had a light bulb moment to use their story, um, which is the first story we see uh, the old couple in the film talking about him seeing her in the restaurant and knowing he was going to marry her. And so he decided to go around people he knew, speak to their parents, get as many stories as he could. So uh, Nora Ephron's parents, their story is in it. Carl Reiner's best man, his story is in it. Um, and he edited the stories down and then uh, they hired actors to perform them, sadly. So, Do you know how disappointing it was? Because yes. I didn't know that. And looking at this I film... I didn't know that, so you just said it now. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was prepared. But they're almost too good, aren't they? I yeah, feel like they're, 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 the facial expressions of the wives sometimes when the, when the husbands are talking yeah. and they've heard this story a million times, yeah. it feels like a performance. But yeah. It's it's heartbreaking though because I was it really warmed the cockles of what's left of my heart when I used to think wow those are genuine people and then if you saw the actual couples doing it and they didn't hit those beats the way the actors yeah. do you'd be like ugh not funny boring but they are genuine stories you can at least yeah told take comfort told really you know how important it is how you tell a story I mean it, like it's very important. Um, and so they run through the film. I don't think I'm going to talk them as we talk about them as we discuss the movie proper, unless you want to, just to say they're adorable. About the the vignettes, if you will. Yeah, the no, vignettes. That's all right. Uh, the title. There was uh, they could not figure out what to call this film um, to the point that they had a contest with the crew to come up with a name for it. Um, when do you know what the prize was for that contest? No, it was a case of champagne. I think if you came up with the name of a movie that went on to make millions upon millions of dollars, you'd want a better... I don't think that's a great incentive to come up with a name for a movie. It kind of ruins the fun on set, though, if you're like, I would like a slice of the back end before I like, get involved. Like, everyone's like, guys, guys, get around. Look, Rob's bought us some champagne. And you're there going, can we just talk numbers? Yeah, yeah. So I've heard about a thing called points. Explain the system to me, because I haven't got a name. I nearly got a movie's title changed when I was on the set of Hostel and talking to the writer director Eli Roth and he was telling me he'd picked them they, they started with the title rather than the plot and he said because <laughs> it's got two meanings you stay at youth hostel and then people can react uh, in a hostile way towards you and I was like that's, that's hostile not, that's hostile <laughs> that's hostile did you not know and he said no it's hostile and I said no Shut that's up. hostile and obviously they pronounce the word differently in America but I said they that doesn't spell it differently it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't mean that in England it doesn't mean that in England and so they were talking about changing the name for England they, they stuck with it in the end but the double meaning was lost on us that's amazing <laughs> um, so when Nora Ephron was working, these filmmakers <laughs> you, you, you sort of you put them on a pedestal <laughs> Uh, but when Nora was writing it, it was called How They Met. Uh, when it was sent to Billy Crystal, it was called Boy Meets Girl. Um, Nora's preferred title was Harry, This Is Sally. Oh, that's nice. Um, uh, Rob Reiner added the dot, dot, dot after When Harry Met Sally. And uh, there's a lovely interview, uh, the two of them talking to each other a few years ago, Rob and Nora. And um, she says, I still don't like the title. <laughs> okay. I still can't stand it. So, yes. She wants that champagne back. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, the only thing is the casting. The other thing is the casting. So they got to do what they wanted, really, because Castle Rock, was who who financed the film, was Rob Reiner's fledgling company at the time. Um, and so the budget was 14.5 million, Reiner said, and, and it meant that we didn't have to cast stars. Yeah. And so if you look at them, Billy Crystal had done Running Scared and Throw Mama from the Train. He was not a global household name by any stretch of the imagination. And actually... Uh, it was very nearly Richard Dreyfus, 
because uh, Rob Reiner went to school with Richard Dreyfus. They'd been friends their whole lives. And so um, he felt like he had to offer it to him first. They had several meetings, but um, Dreyfus wanted to change quite a lot. I bet he bloody did. I, you can't imagine Richard. I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Richard Dreyfus fan. You are. But you cannot imagine him. And I know Billy Crystal will have had a huge hand in the script and changed it. But even that kind of dialogue... Like it, I can't imagine Richard Dreyfus doing that. No, it doesn't. It just doesn't. It, he's a much more traditional romantic comedy. Oh, snap the necklace shot in front of you. Mm. <laughs> That's Richard Gear. Oh shit! It is yeah. <laughs> Richard Dreyfus is from Jaws. Oh fuck! Richard Dreyfus <laughs> would be fucking great in this. <laughs> are you t- were you talking about Richard Gear the whole that time? I've been thinking about Richard Gear. Like <laughs> why? Because he, he was involved in bloody my movie, wasn't he? He was like he was one of the people that was talked about for while you were sleeping. So oh. I've got him on the brain. <laughs> Richard Dreyfus. Anyway, you pronounce his name weird. I'm saying it's because of that. You pronounce Dreyfus more like Gear. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Fuck oh it. yeah, he'd be great. <laughs> Oh, yeah? You mean the guy from Jaws? Yeah. My favourite movie of all time. Yeah, that yeah, one. That Fucking one. Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> little, yes. little guy, a bit like Billy Crystal. <laughs> yeah, no, he'd be good. He'd be good. Um, and, and Meg Ryan was coming off the back of Top Gun and Inner Space, where you know Top Gun was obviously a huge movie, but very much supporting character. Mm. Um, and I saw an interview with her at the time where she just said she was so pleased to be offered the role because she said, this time I get to be funny. I'm somebody who actually participates in the film. Yeah. So there you have it. That's my background. Mm. Lovely. Any more? Solid backgrounding, Chris. Really, really loved that. Let's get into the movie then. Uh, And we kick off in 1977 at the University of Chicago, where we meet Harry and Sally. Another connection. Chicago in both films. Yes. Just realised. Very Very good. good. Thanks. Um, And really, uh, as I I mentioned, that lovely interview between uh, Rob Reiner and and Nora Ephron, and they really are Harry and Sally. Rob was apparently wallowing in depression when she wrote this, but was able to find the humour in him being grumpy and Mm. down all the time. And so she used that for Harry Burns, who's, you know, gloomy and pessimistic. And and, um, I think they agreed that Rob, like Harry, is a likeable arsehole, is how they put it. Yeah. Um, And we meet him, he's got this dark side. He reads the last page of a book first in case he dies before he finishes it. Yeah, but she's so good with him. She's like, so? And that's good because she's she's light, he's dark. And they don't even hate each other properly. So for a rom-com, that is big. Because if you're not going to be together, you have to really hate each other. And then obviously you have the huge journey over the film. But they're just like, "Mm, I don't, mm," like just nothing. And I love the fact that her, she's quite frothy, obviously. She's she's literally called Albright. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So her comeback to him about him reading the last page of a book, she's like, doesn't make you deep. It's just, you know, it's pathetic, basically. (laughs) I love that. Uh, she's off to New York to become a reporter and her flaw seems to be that she's particular and know what she, knows what she wants. Yeah. This seems to be set up as her flaw. That's her I flaw. think it's fine. You, she just she just wants it the way she wants it. You wouldn't. You, 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 I mean, you can say that and you can watch a movie and you go, it's fine. I swear to God, if you sat in a restaurant, you would grow. Uh, do you not have that social anxiety? I, I find it difficult to be with someone who orders off menu at all. Never mind putting sauces on the side <laughs> and the way she lists it. I, it, it. Maybe it's me, but I'd be like, I, I can't. I, I, let's eat at home. 
forever. Let's just go. We'll get a takeout and watch a movie because I, I, I can't be around as a British you person, in a, in a yeah. customer service environment. No, it doesn't well, happen welcome here. Welcome to my world a little bit. Really? <laughs> you just think in the US they're more accommodating. You mean your fiance? <laughs> um, so, uh, well, the truth there is that Chris is half a story. <laughs> uh, uh, they'd actually pretty much finished the script and they were having lunch together. Nora and Rob Reiner were in California and she ordered avocado and bacon and sprouts and cheese and mayonnaise, but wanted half of it on the side and the mayonnaise in a pot and the sprouts in a pot. And, uh, Rob said to her, you know, you make dishes better than they do, but this is super annoying. And she said, I simply know better. And so, bang, that went straight into the script. <laughs> I've, I've, I've seen it go wrong, though. It's one of those environments where I struggle to find sympathy for the person who's ordered off menu. Uh-huh. Like, you know, like in real life, if someone goes, if someone went swimming in Shark Attack Cove and got eaten by a shark, I'm like, well, I, I struggle to garner any sympathy uh, from inside me. It's the same with, I've seen it go wrong. I've been with people who've gone, do you know what? Could you add that? But a little bit of that, and I'll have some of that. And they, they bring it out, and it's fucking awful. <laughs> and, and then they're like, oh, this isn't really very good. I'm like, it's your own fault. You don't order off menu. This is like these pl- You have to be, maybe in America, like the, the kitchen staff are like, this is what we do. But here, <laughs> you go off menu, and you, you just, you might as well, you might as well just like go whatever slop you've got <laughs> in the kitchen, just put in a dish and tell me it's what I asked for. <laughs> yeah. I'd like the chef salad, please, with the oil and vinegar on the side and the apple pie a la mode, but I'd like the pie heated and I don't want the ice cream on top. I want it on the side and I'd like strawberry instead of vanilla if you have it. If not, then no ice cream, just whipped cream, but only if it's real. If it's out of a can, then nothing. Not even the pie. <laughs> no, just the pie, but then not heated. I'm see, that's the last bit. Just the pie, but not heated. It's like, you know, and it's just like you say, it's service culture. That waitress gets that wrong. It's on her. She's going to be like, uh, well, I mean, you know, that's a lot to ask of someone. <laughs> um, they, we, they talk about the fact that she claims to have had great sex. Sally does with with Sheldon the Wonderschlong. <laughs> uh, I, there's an d- interesting deleted scene from this scene, actually, from that sequence where um, she says she slept with two people, which prompts him to say she can't possibly know she's had good sex. And then she asks him how many people he slept with. And he says between 10 and 100. 10 and 100. <laughs> and, and she says, uh, what's it closer to? And after a really long pause... He says, closer to 10. <laughs> it's, I don't know why they cut it out. It was only 30 seconds, but it's really funny. And we see what a player sort of um, Harry thinks he is. Uh, but it leads into the, the, the big statement. Um, you realise, of course, that we could never be friends because men and women can't be friends because the sex part gets in the way. Now, is the film really about this? Because no. I keep reading that it isn't, but I think it is. It's but not it's, about It's that. not, okay. No, because she doesn't agree with him. She's not like, oh, fuck, yeah, you're right. She's like, no, that's not true. And he says, so they're, they're having the conversation. And he's like, it always gets in the way. She's like, but what if we don't want to have sex with you? And he's like, well, it's still out there. So like, it's only out there for you. If the other person in that party isn't interested, they, they can still have what they think to be a friendship. But if I it's think. out there for one person, mm. then it's not a, 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 a platonic friendship. Because if one yeah. person thinks it, I think it's a really, I, I, it's a question that I've, I've, I've asked myself. Over the years, I bet you have. I, I think genuinely, it's a fascinating question. Can can men and women just be friends? I mean, you know, I know we've been told we can't ask it, but I think we. <laughs> Why uh, are you doing this? <laughs> I'm looking at the clock. Go on, say what you've got to no, say. I just you you made me watch this movie. You made me analyze it, and uh-huh. now I'm ready to analyze. Go on, then. I'm just, interested to hear. Go I'm, on. No, I'm just I'm I'm just interested to know. You know what 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 we are. What what is this dynamic? <laughs> I just cannot believe you're doing. 
<laughs> Why are you doing this? <laughs> Why are you taking off your shirt? Put it on, Alex. <laughs> I'm good. Let's move on. <laughs> well, all right. We'll come back to the question. Oh, um, okay, great. <laughs> look forward to that. <laughs> no, because the film comes back to it. Uh, and then we cut to 1982. Uh, this is quite a brief um, time sequence. We're in an airport. Uh, we meet uh, Joe, who Sally is dating. Uh, interesting fun fact. He's played by former President Gerald Ford's son. Okay. <laughs> a weird bit of random trivia. Yeah. Why have we lost the name Tilly trivia? Surely that oh, yeah. fits. That fits so perfectly under the moniker Tilly trivia. It's a bit shit, isn't it? As a fact? Yeah, Tilly trivia is higher than that. Oh, I say so. Okay. Yes. Okay. I agree. As long as it's still floating around somewhere, I just haven't heard it for a while. The, it's for you guys to say. You know, I'm not that kind of person. Um, as you say, we learn that Harry's now a political consultant. Uh, he does his speech about um, you don't take someone to the airport at the beginning of a relationship, which is when we start getting into the territory, I think, where you, Nora Ephron was a journalist and she would write these wonderful essays. And I think about a third of this film feels like her essays, basically, yeah. being repurposed or, you know, his speeches feel like her, yeah. like essays. It's conversations between them and their friends, huge, really long set pieces mm. and not much else. Or, or, or what I've, um, Billy Crystal stand-up. Yeah. Billy Crystal one-liners. So here's a question. How do you feel about that? Because it, this does feel very like unnaturalistic it feels yes. like you are watching like people doing routines at each other There's, it doesn't uh, I for the first time watching this and it is only the second time so for the second time watching this which is also the first time I've thought this I found it a bit clinical okay. like more clinical than I, I had done the previous time I watched it where I was kind of more swept up in it because it was the first time I'd seen it so yeah. I was on the journey and this time I didn't mind it because a lot of it is very funny, but I did sort of, there's a barrier between you and these people. You're not as emotionally invested in them as I think you would be if it did come across like these were just chats they were having as opposed to bits. routines. Yeah, yeah. Bits. I can see your point. I think if you then look at a scene a little bit after the airport, so when they meet uh, again five years later, he She's broke. Joe and I broke up. They've broken up. Harry and Helen have split up. He is like in that scene where they go for dinner. He looks like scoured out, like uh, blasted with grief. Like he's not even there. He's like hollow eyed. Mm. So because he's now not thinking about having sex with Meg Ryan, she has such an honest conversation with him. She mm. talks for ages, and it's really it's a really good performance by her. And it's re it is quite naturalistic, and it's really good acting. So she's talking about. We never do fly off to Rome at a moment's notice, and the kitchen tiles are very hard Mexican ceramic and yeah. all of that. And it's a re and the I spy a family thing, which is really twee and really sickly, um, but always gets me because she's being really honest with a man. For she is treating him like a friend. She's not doing what women sometimes do, which is saying what we think wants to be heard. She's just telling him how she feels. True. And fuck him if he doesn't listen. Okay, what, whatever. What a way to also uh, suggest that you want to have kids at some point. I spy a family. <laughs> that's yeah. that's how you're introducing the conversation. That's, okay. It's childish. Yeah. I, I like the rhythm of the way she writes, though. I like she writes in these sort of small sentences. And we talked about on the Clue episode, I think, Jonathan Lynn showed the cast Preston Sturges films to get them into the the rhythm of the speech. And I feel like that's what this is like. It's like a throwback to those 
1930s and 1940s mm. romantic comedies where it's like a machine gun coming at you and you've just got to adjust your ears and either you're into it or you hate it like yeah. Alex does. I didn't say <laughs> that. Uh, he, this is when he talks about um, men wondering how long they have to lie there and hold the woman after they've had sex. So we've talked about this as friends. So the... <laughs> It's so much hassle having to leave. Just leave in the morning. <laughs> That's a good point. So, But this is what I mean. I, you know how much I love this film. But these types of conversations, and I'm being very hard because because it was called Boy Meets Girl. She is rep- it's not Sally's fault or Meg Ryan's fault, but she's kind of representative of a lot of people in this film. She's meant to be a cipher, right? Fine. So this idea that women, all women, really like a long cuddle. <laughs> Did you just do inverted commas? <laughs> no, sorry, you know, sorry. women are real. Women are real. <laughs> sorry. Um, Anyway, that we all like a really long hug and whoever we've had sex with doesn't. Mm. That has never, ever been true for me and for lots of people I know. So if men and women spoke more honestly, I think we'd find more common ground there, which is like maybe don't run off in the middle of the night, mm. but really also get off. Do you know what the other thing is? And the reason that it doesn't translate for you or me as well as it does for an American audience is because we don't have air conditioning. <laughs> Every apartment in America has air conditioning. Whereas here, you're doing that, you're doing that in summer and you're like, don't fucking touch me. It's so hot. It's like like peeling sweat off each other. Whereas in America, it gets a bit hot, bang on the air con. You're like, there's no reason not to hold each other. You can stay here, I suppose. I never ever thought of that. Yeah. Amazing. It's the difference. It's the difference between it's the difference between the UK and America. Did you read the article in the Atlantic which talked about this film and the the not a coincidence, but it coming out at the same time as Seinfeld and how that normalised um, like lots of terms that we use. So like the high maintenance, low maintenance thing, high maintenance and low maintenance sort of took off after when Harry met Sally and Seinfeld's humour as well about sort of the everyday, the quotidian, the the nothingness. And bringing these terms into the mainstream, like um, some of your favourite Seinfeld terms, like they're a law talker, they're a re-gifter. Um, and talking about these like mundane truths about uh, not wanting to stay and have a hug or what's the other one? Can't remember. Um, and how it's just a product of its time that this sort of normal, everyday nothingness just was really caught on fire at the time. Mm, I, I, hadn't, interesting. I hadn't read that, but um, I do know that Seinfeld was made by Castle Rock, who also oh, made yeah. this. Because that's why I feel like Rob Reiner, we lost him a little bit as a director. Uh, about 10 years after this because he's like a billionaire because yeah. of Seinfeld so I don't need to work again. <laughs> yeah. He had an amazing mean, run in the 80s. When Seinfeld was syndicated didn't Larry David make something like five billion dollars an episode or something like i mean i think that's an exaggeration but he made a lot of money <laughs> weird number to pick that it's would so make much him money. let me just wear this out the richest, the richest man, man ever in the yeah, world think, in history i think that's mm. true do you know what i'm the richest man in the world i fancy doing curb your enthusiasm <laughs> just for fun shits and giggles and uh yeah having heard that bit of vicky trivia let's take a break you're welcome <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com And we're back and it's 1987 and the ladies are lunching in Central Park, including Marie, played by Carrie Fisher. Does anyone know if there's a real restaurant? Because I want to eat there. That looks like an amazing place to eat. I hadn't thought of it. Yeah, I think it's a real restaurant. I loved it. You didn't think of it. It's like (laughs) by a lake, there's a fountain. It looks looks like something out of The Princess Bride. It does a bit. Um, And Marie has a Rolodex. Yay! With all available men in New York and she'll fold a quarter when they're no longer available. (laughs) That's funny. Um, And we cut from them to the guys at the Giants game. Uh, This is uh, Harry's best friend Jess, played by Bruno Kirby. And they're having a very serious chat about relationships while doing the Mexican wave. Yay! Um, Yay! Harry gets the funny line, well, that symptom is my fucking wife. It's fucking my wife. Oh, I got it wrong. Uh, But but what I like about both these scenes (laughs) is that the brilliance of them is that you want to hang out with both groups. Yeah. Sometimes in a film like this, I feel like one of the groups will be a bit annoying depending on what sex you are. But these, both these groups seem like a right laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we are in a bookshop and Carrie Fisher gets the great line someone is staring at you in personal growth (laughs) which is literal and metaphorical because Harry remembers Sally's name he asks about her in Joe he's grown up he's matured he's making an effort he's getting a divorce so I feel like the genius of this film isn't just the love story but it's it's watching people age yeah and he apologises he apologises that's a huge moment Mm. Um, he changes and it made me think of other films, not like this, but made me, I don't know, in this world, like the Michael Apted 7-Up series, before Sunrise movies and Boyhood, there's something about the passage of time and seeing people change that can really be quite profound when you're watching it on screen. I just hadn't really thought of this film in those terms, but it makes you feel something. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel something. And I mean, as you say, he offers her an apology. This is when the high maintenance and low maintenance things come up, which um, I did check. Mm. And apparently uh, the historical dictionary of American slang says the figurative sense was popularized by the 1989 romantic comedy. Yeah. So. Um, but I've, I mean, I, I love this film, but I don't think it's perfect. And so the high maintenance, low maintenance thing still grates on me because she just wants it the way she wants, on, wants it. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's not fair that he gets to be like, yeah, because you're high maintenance. And everything she says is like, yeah, but you would say that because you're high maintenance. And so he's not attacking her. They're having a nice... But isn't he being portrayed as a clown and an idiot for saying these things? Like, he's he's this likeable arsehole. I don't yeah. think... But is the film saying that women are... She's high maintenance? I think the film's saying that Harry's saying it, but Harry still hasn't realised. It isn't what, yeah. isn't what okay. she's doing the definition of high maintenance. <laughs> About just because of a sandwich... But it's not just because of a sandwich. Chris listed what she asked for to go, can I have no pickle on my sandwich? What's wrong with knowing what you want? Thank you. But it's the amount of the detail. I mean, you you, you just can't, you can't exist. Like if, if someone went, 
I don't want any gherkin on that burger. Mm-hmm. And someone went, oof, high maintenance. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. But if someone did everything she does in this movie, I think in that <clears throat> circumstance, as a bit of a joke, you're allowed to go, high maintenance. And it's fine. But she's she's the most exacting when she's ordering a sandwich. She lets a lot of stuff about her relationship with him slide. So she's not that high maintenance. Yeah. No? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, but he's sort of, like so easygoing and low he's maintenance. He's so fucking great, <laughs> and he's funny, isn't he? He's She's a funny. nightmare. So isn't funny. she a nightmare? Oh, <laughs> hard work. He, he tolerates so much of this. Film. She's a headache. Yeah. Um, the leaves. Poor are- Harry met Sally. <laughs> the leaves are falling, and they're wearing lovely autumnal colours. Oh, they are in front of the autumn colours. Yep. I mean, I think. About 13, I started trying to dress like this for about six yeah, months. And it looked, it looked weird on no, a 13 year old boy. No. <laughs> why, why did you do that? I thought it looked really nice. So it taught me through a, a, an outfit as a 13 year old boy. Just lots of brown and beige <laughs> and green, dark green, and just but, autumnal colours like Harry, like the clothes he wears that haven't really dated, um, but they just look weird on a child. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just trying to understand. You saw this movie and went. That's the look. That's the look. Yeah, right, I thought okay. he looked really smart. Okay, I just I I I find it uh, surprising that a thirteen-year-old boy of all the movies out there went, "Who am I going to dress no, like?" Is it a fucking and, and you know what, Transylvania over there, dress <laughs> like you want. It wasn't unlike some of the clothes actually that Bruce Wayne wears in Batman, so it was kind of two-pronged. Mm. And Gap had just come out in the UK. <laughs> Um, but here, speaking of the <laughs> speaking of the clothes, he, I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's very funny. He says to her, "You look really good in skirts. You should wear more skirts." Is that nice or rude? Um, because I've, I've watched that, the Judy like... Garland film this week, and the bloke says that to her in that as well. I'm thinking, is that a compliment or is that rude? It's not rude. It's, it's funny because the scene after he says that. She's wearing what appears to be shorts and a skirt simultaneously. That's true. Like yeah. she's gone, I'll meet you halfway. Half and half, yeah. <laughs> I'll meet you halfway by wearing this atrocious thing. <laughs> this wraparound thing. <laughs> this yeah. doesn't should not exist. Did you notice this time? This is the first time I've noticed this. So the pepper in the paprikash thing, when they're in the gallery, yes. and he asks her to go to the movies, and she's like, oh, I can't, I've got a date. And for the first time ever, I noticed that when he goes, oh, good for you, she looks disappointed, I think. And mm. I never noticed it. And it made me a bit angry because she's waiting for him to go, oh, no, that's not all right, because we're on this track now. And she, so she's further ahead in their journey than he is. And I always want them to be in parallel. And mm. so it annoyed me. She looks clearly a bit gutted. And then to recover from that, she's like, you should get out there, too, just to sort of save face. And that's the first time I've ever noticed it. Uh, she certainly does look disappointed. I yeah. agree with that. Doesn't he? Isn't there a, a flicker of like yeah. oh a on, on his face? I feel like as he well. doesn't mean what he's saying. No, no. I, I, I think, think I think they are at the same point. Yeah, okay. I, I I think they are as well. I find that scene a little bit cringe. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> pecan pecan pie. It's yeah. annoying. It's just very demonstrative, it, and we are British after all, and so it's not. Billy, just read the scene. I've got this voice I'm doing on stage. <laughs> I've got this voice I'm doing. People are going wild in the clubs. It might not age well, Billy. That's what we're going to say. Like, it's a um, different time. And the way she's kind of laughing at him and it's not... Oh, it's painful. Um, what first time I noticed on this watch was that 
the opening scene when they go in the diner, she says the word sex out loud and everyone hears her and she's super embarrassed. Yeah. Which I love. I hadn't really noticed that the diner scene now, the big scene, is a callback to that. So she said sex and got embarrassed. This time, she's having an orgasm she's in a diner. No problem with it. So she, it's showing how she's changed as well. That's a good point because one of my criticisms is that she doesn't change much. She just kind of waits for him to change. But that's absolutely right. So uh, can you show us how this scene is done? No. <laughs> It depends. Not in here. You know when she said no at the start? <laughs> you know when a woman says no? <laughs> so it, this all started because Rob Reiner had said to Nora Ephron um, that men are waiting to leave after they've had sex rather than hug. And she said, uh, he said, tell us something that you do. And she said... Um, he never heard that before. So is, do you know if he was like, well, that's never happened to me. And she was like, it has. Like, what? The fake orgasm thing. The, okay, the best exchange in that is that she says to he's like, that's never happened to me. She's like, well, you do the math because most women have done it and most men say it hasn't happened to them. So something isn't quite right. But I would, I love that dialogue, that exchange. It's great. But I've never wouldn't have never known if it's based in reality, if a man has really gone, but that's never happened to me. I think it's something that was never discussed. I think this brought an awkward conversation out oh, into okay. the open yeah. amongst men and women and men and men to be honest yeah they said that if you watch so the scene the famous scene is when she fakes an orgasm in the diner and they were saying that oftentimes they would go to screenings and the women would be pissing themselves and the the men would not be laughing in that mm. scene because it was very uncomfortable to... they don't like it <laughs> well because <laughs> it's not true <laughs> they put the scene in though didn't they in the first place because they thought it was becoming a bit harry centric at this point yeah. in the movie so they wanted to give her something to do on the subject uh, is it a problem? Why would men not be laughing at that? Was it that? Was it such a cultural bombshell? The idea that women might be faking an I orgasm. I think in 1989, maybe it was. I mean, to the point that Rob Reiner didn't believe it. He he thundered round the Castle Rock offices and asked six terrified women into his office <laughs> and put the question to them. Um, <laughs> That's not okay. He said they all said yes, we've done it, and he said that would probably get me fired today yep. doing that. Yes, it would. Yep. So uh, and rightly so. Um, the scene, the conversation was written, but the orgasm, the actual orgasm was not in the script it was Meg Ryan who suggested it um, uh, and then as a team they decided that Cat's, Cat's Deli this very famous deli in New York would be the best place to do it have you been anyone been I've been have you sat in the seat no I'm not that not, not that tragic how was it did you have the big sandwich with all the meat in it <coughs> I walked past the outside and went that's the deli from when <laughs> I, think I've done that. I think I've done that <laughs> um, uh, Billy Crystal came up with the line I'll have what she's having um they decided they needed an older Jewish lady to say the line. Rob Reiner said my mother could do that. Um, she said she couldn't. Uh, Meg Ryan said she couldn't do it in the deli in front of all those strangers. So actually Rob Reiner sat down in front of Billy <laughs> Crystal and did it himself first, uh, which was quite a strange thing. He said it was, it was really awkward. I realised I was having an orgasm in front of my mother. Um, it's the scene that got the film an R rating, Yeah, which they are still upset about and as they should yeah, be yeah I mean it's ridiculous isn't it totally ridiculous it's ridiculous it caused me much embarrassment watching this film with my parents but nevertheless it's not an <laughs> R-rated film it's so strange because I've watched it again it's a very it's a very very good fake orgasm it really is <laughs> you, do, you do sort of go God. I know. Even I think that. No, it goes on too long. In real life, they only last for two seconds. That's a, that's a fact. Like a little squeak. No, <laughs> like a squeak. I like think, a little mouse. I think, if anything, the reason this created such a furore and people going, are women doing this, is because of how well she mm -hmm. does it. Like, does. It is so utterly convincing. Do you want to hear my contentious point with this scene? Oh, I'm so interested to know what you're going to say. It's 
And I, I, I realise that it's, it goes against votes that have taken place and, uh, and and people being like, it's one of the great lines in cinema. I honestly don't think it needs the I'll have what she's having at the end. Oh. I think Meg Ryan's face when she takes the scoop of the ice cream mm. and puts it in her mouth and smiles at Billy Crystal. The speed. It's, it's just, and and you go out on that, it's like, yeah. there you go. That's it true. doesn't need another button on the end. Uh, well, and, and, and they, you know, they were very clear with his mum that, you know, we probably won't use this. This is the button on the scene. But then when they tested it, it just went through the roof when she said it. So that was the reason. And, and the scene itself, Nora Ephron said she was watching it on a plane uh, a few months after the film had come out. And because of the R rating and because it was on a plane, they cut that scene. <laughs> and she said you could feel the collective sigh of disappointment around the plane because everyone was waiting for the scene. Yeah. And she said it was noticeable how it's a much worse film. And weirdly how a collective sigh of disappointment almost sounds like a fake <laughs> orgasm. It's loud enough. Oh. Um, and there was the premiere of this film in <laughs> London. A man's fake orgasm. <laughs> Can you do that? <laughs> I suppose. Can oh, men yeah. fake an orgasm? Oh. <laughs> I'm faking one now. <laughs> Why would you be faking one now? Why, Why would this be a circumstance in which you'd fake an orgasm? It's exciting. You'd never want to be... <laughs> I'm about to make a good point. I don't want anyone ever to be brought to the point of orgasm when we make this show. Can we just make that a rule? And also, of course <laughs> men fake mean? orgasms. Do you? Yes. yes. Why? Because you don't want to disappoint them. Yeah, because sometimes... Sometimes right, I'm just going to say I don't think they care. For, uh, for exactly the same reason, a woman fakes an orgasm, a man will fake an orgasm because you're just like I'm tired. I want to go to sleep. This isn't going to happen. <laughs> You've and, been working really hard, bless you. Yeah. <laughs> it's not your fault. I got a lot on my mind. Works tough. Oh no. Yeah. Okay. It's, I didn't know that. It's parity. It is parity, <laughs> and I am a big. Fan of parity. Yeah, right. I am, so I suppose that's okay. So this news to you is actually magnificent yeah. to find out that you have possibly slept with men <laughs> who have faked orgasms. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, moving on. Um, this it's film- 1989 for you. <laughs> uh, this I'm film, right about it. This fine. film had a royal premiere and Rob Reiner sat next to Princess Diana. Oh. And he said that she stifled a laugh in that scene and leaned to Billy Crystal and said, I'd be laughing a lot more, but I know everyone's looking at me. And uh, she asked for a copy of the film so she could watch it at home with her friends. Yes, In the palace. Uh, And so then we've got the (laughs) New Year's Eve uh, party, um, which is why we're doing it this week. But there's not a huge amount to it. We've got some uh, Harry Connick Jr. happening. Um, Yeah, we scenes of ice skating in New York. You know, Ray Charles singing Winter Wonderland. (laughs) Has anyone ever sounded so bored about <laughs> ice skating scenes in New York? That's like it's quintessential <laughs> Christmas in New York shit. That's the Rockefeller Center. It's cliche, is it? I love it, yeah, though. Yeah, who cares? They're falling in love. Um, uh, they go on a blind date, though, with uh, Jess and Marie, who hit it off with each other rather than Harry and Sally. Uh, they ask the question, if they, they claim that restaurants are to people in the 80s what theatres were to people in the 60s. Yeah. What's the, what's the, <clears throat> what's the equivalent now? Uh, Avocado? I don't know. That's what people say. (laughs) No idea. Uh, Twitter. I think Twitter might be. Okay, that's a much better answer than avocado. Mm. Uh, (laughs) I'm not sure what you were going for with avocado, but I just, I always. Restaurants, theatres, avocado. I I always assume the best in you, Vicky. And so when you say avocado, I go, there's probably something I'm missing. There's something I'm missing. Very sweet. (laughs) Um, It's four months later, and Harry and Sally are shopping together. They sing Sorry with a Fringe on Top, uh, a karaoke machine. 
Um, and Harry sees his ex. Very awkward scene. Very it's brutal. Um, Absolutely brutal. Ira. Ira's the name. Perfect name, Ira. Perfect name for a wanker, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is, isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, the wagon wheel coffee table. I like it. You don't like the wagon wheel coffee table? I fucking hate that coffee table. It's 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 pretty fucking ugly. And it does not go in that apartment. Ooh. But I love the fact that they had to have a scene where he was carrying it out, but he couldn't pick up the whole table. So when he's coming down the stairs with it, it's just the wagon wheel. Like, <laughs> imagine, it's, imagine that's heavy. Yeah. It comes apart really easily. <laughs> So then they argue, which is a big moment after this scene. So after the wagon wheel coffee table, Harry blows up because he's upset about Helen. Mm. And Harry and Sally have a big argument. And then this is my other, I think this is my last, like, it's where it's not perfect. Because they fight and she screams at him that he's fucking his way through New York. And he's like, you should do the same. And she's like, but I want to make love when it means something. Now, again, for the character, not her fault. That's cool. That's sweet. Good for you. But because she's representing all women... Um, I hate that because it, again, pushes this idea that it always has to be about something more and it can't just be for pleasure. And I'm very resistant to that. So it gets a cross against its name for that scene. I I don't like this scene for another reason, because they have this big argument and it's going on and it's getting more and more intense. And then he goes, can I just say something? I'm so sorry. Yeah. And you're like, that doesn't happen. <laughs> that doesn't happen, work of fiction. He's going <laughs> to seethe and he's going to yeah. go off and days are going to pass and he's going to wait for her to go, shall we talk about that? And yeah. then maybe, maybe an apology will be eked out of him. Yeah, because she's quite vile to him, to be fair. Like, to scream at someone, you're fucking your way through New York. It's like, well, it, you know... Is it any of your business or why does that matter to you that much? And then he just, he apologises, which is mm. nice in the scene. But I, yeah, I agree with you. He would be like, can I say something? <laughs> <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she, Sally's upset that she's going to be 40 in eight years, yeah. which upsets me because these people, <laughs> these people seemed so old when I was 13. I know. They were very old when I was 13 and now no, they're, they're not. not. No, they're no. children. What I hate about that is the fact that she goes, she goes, I'm going to be 40. And I was like, oh, cool. And then there's a beat before she goes, in eight years. So I was like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> now I feel old. For a moment there, I was like, I'm the same age yeah. as the characters. No, I'm not. No. Um, uh, then they have sex. Um, they do. It's now, on. Again, first time I've noticed this. So she's upset. Yeah. She's crying her eyes out. Yep. And he is he feels sorry for her. As yep. in like a friend feels sorry for mm-hmm. her. Not that he's gonna give her a pity shack at this point. And then he's like, I'll make us a cup of tea or something. Why are you laughing? Because I'm nervous. I'm nervous about what you're Why? gonna say and what Alex's gonna say, what I'm gonna say. Uh, I'm interested. Carry on. Now I'm mm, so he gives her a little kiss mm-hmm. on the lips. Mm, but it's really the... sweet. Is it? And then he does it again. And it's the first time I've noticed it. I was like, I don't, I don't kiss my friends like that. Like that, what is that kiss? Because then there's a proper kiss, but that kiss leads to the proper kiss. And so, what is he doing? Like, is is he? Why are you laughing? I don't understand. What? What? No, yes, you can. No, why, no, why is he doing that, Alex? Why do you think? <laughs> he's I don't doing know. That I asked you, Alex. I'm confused. <gasps> oh, oh, because he just thinks he can get some. The the auto tracking broke on my VHS at this scene, <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm actually got no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <Your> VHS. <laughs> I th- what I uh, I don't know. I think his feelings are all over the place. Right. I think he might have a semi going on. <laughs> what, because she's crying? <laughs> oh, my God. As I say, it's confusing. Good. I don't think that. As, as I say, the emotions are confusing for Harry You like to get point. them when they're down. Is that what you're saying? Like, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> if there's all, one less defence in place. It's all fodder. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Fodder. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
I see now what a huge error <laughs> has been made. And it's my fault. Oh, God. Uh, so they have sex. <laughs> so they have sex. The, the, the kissing turns into the heavy petting and then the shagging. Um, there is a deleted scene here. All oh, food for Chris's table. <laughs> We see him staring at a clock in the middle of the night and then looking to her and then back at the clock and back to her. So he's not sleeping? No. So he's obviously awake all, all night trying to figure out what to do. Um, and then we get to the four-way phone call. Yeah. So which means that um, Jess and Marie have Different two landlines. <laughs> yeah. Two landlines in their bedroom. Yeah, I know. A uh, wonderful scene, but mm, I don't know anyone that had that. And this whole them sleeping together and the, the aftermath of this. Mm. So am I right in thinking she's into him, yeah. but he's not into her? So is this the first point in the movie where they're clearly in different places? Or he doesn't... Or he does he think that because he's done it in those circumstances where she was upset... It actually isn't the same as if he ju- if they just slept together. I don't know because she goes to get him a glass of water and she looks really happy mm. and settled. Oh, and she asks him if they're going to do it again, and he's like, "Let's go to sleep." So they're in very different places there. But when she's had the glass of water, she does look a bit worried. Like, but isn't that because of the way he's behaving? I find this I find this bit weird because you know there's, there's no way that he. I mean, he's worried about jeopardising their friendship. Yeah. But at the same time, he clearly is in love with her. And so... He's uncomfortable, isn't he, with the... What's the word? That you're uncomfortable with the closeness. I've forgotten the word that they say about people who won't get together with someone else. Intimacy? Yeah. He's un- I think he's become uncomfortable with the, with, with the mm. turn it's taken. And I think he can't... He doesn't know how to deal with it. And so he just does the wrong thing. But also, from a script point of view, you've got, it's a rom-com and the end of Act 3 has happened now. So how are you going to get an Act 2 low point? Which is good. It's a good challenge because you're uh, throwing out the structure, the usual structure. So you have to force a low point. And the only way to do it is that one of them's into it and one of them isn't, yeah. I guess. But I think it's, I do think it's believable as well. Yeah. It's just they're not on the same, quite on the same page. And the look on his face when he's lying there is great. Yeah. It is. And the look on her face, to be honest. I think she she really sells. Just she's so happy. She is. Um, and so we cut to three weeks later, and it's Marie and Jess's uh, quick wedding. Uh, uh, I've written down Marie's dress isn't great. We've already established that. Yeah. Uh, Sally's very cold with Harry at uh, the reception. He's he's being horrible. Basically, it's it's just it's uncomfortable to watch. And then we're into the final straight New Year's Eve. Yes. Um, the race to the airport scene in a rom com. Yes. Yeah. Um, it starts off with him leaving. Answer machine messages and her answering and saying, I'm not your consolation prize, which Good is line. a great line. Great yeah. line. Uh, then we slip into some wonderful narration. Uh, oh, yeah. Vicky I be happy with. <laughs> and Harry's having a series of flashbacks. Um, he's think- we watch him thinking. We watch him changing his mind. And, and as Frank sings, it had to be you. He breaks into a run. It's really lovely. Uh, in the first draft of this script, though, they did not get together. Oh. Can you believe that? What uh, a crazy way to end this. And to be honest... I keep coming back to this conversation. I will post it on Twitter between... Uh, it's 20 minutes. It's wonderful between Rob Reiner and Nora Ephron. But they both say that probably the true ending is that they don't get together. Uh, you know, Nora says if people don't do it early on, it means there's something missing. Sorry, Rob says that. And he's, and Rob Reiner says it doesn't feel like a real movie to me, a real ending, that they, they do get together. But it, really? But it is still a movie and it is the right ending. Yes. Um, Otherwise, you'd be like, "What a waste of fucking time!" Well, and, and, and also, when they were when they were working on it, um, uh, Rob Reiner said he couldn't figure out how he got to that place and made that leap um, because Rob Reiner said I hadn't lived it and it seemed false. 
But famously, Rob Reiner met his wife during the making of this movie. No. Second wife. No. And this is a good story. So uh, the DP on this film was Barry Sonnenfeld, who was friends with a woman called Michelle Singer, who was single, just like Rob Reiner. And Barry said, you need to meet Michelle. You're going to marry her. She's wonderful. And Rob was not interested, but then Barry invited her to the set. She's on set the day that they're having the argument outside the brownstone. Mm Mm-hmm. And she came to watch and then she she went to have lunch with Barry and Rob went over to her at lunch and she was smoking. And he said to her, you know, you really shouldn't smoke. It's not good for your health. To which she responded, and you shouldn't be so fucking fat. <laughs> <laughs> and seven months later, they were married. Oh, Are you being serious? <laughs> um, and so he said that he, he knew then that that was the right ending because it had happened to him. He oh, had I, had this. I think I might squeeze out a tear, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, There's some dust coming out of your left eye. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, what is that? And so Billy Crystal delivers that beautiful line, which apparently uh, Crystal had quite a hand in writing. Which one? Um, I, I, I'm saying all the reasons he loves her. But again, good and bad. I think about this all day. Um, I really love that it takes you an hour and a half to order a sandwich is not the foundation of a marriage, right? Mm-hmm. But because in rom-coms you do skip the character work because that's not really the thing, it's all you've ever got left. And so the only thing I really hate is when it's like, oh, when, you, when you're angry and you look at me and you, you get that wrinkle in your forehead. And you I mean like 90% of people in the world? <laughs> and I can't bear it. Because it just gives her, you're so cute. It's like childlike. It's just really cute. And then I think writers think, oh, if you give a girl a cute thing, that that will do in terms of her personality. I think, it's, I think it's just the fact that it's it's such an obvious thing. It's not specific to her. It's like, I, yeah. I love the way you blink when you get dust in your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> you look angry at me when yeah. you're angry with me. Yeah, fair enough. I love the way snot comes out your nose when you sneeze. Yeah. <laughs> I like the look in your eyes when you're squeezing out a fart. <laughs> uh, but I came here tonight because when you realise you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want that rest of your life to start as soon as possible is a really lovely line. Yeah. And, and as I say, I believe that was Billy Crystal's. And then that's it. She comes back with, I hate you, Harry. I really hate you, really which hate is you. great writing. Lovely. Yeah. Um, and Old Lang Syne comes on, which is about old friends, which is what they are. Mm. And that's it. And then he it. ruins it by going, <laughs> what does this song mean? Shut up. <laughs> Stop talking. He's never going to change. Um, and then we see them doing one of the old couple speeches. Uh, three months later, we got married uh, 12 years and three months. And they talk about the wedding cake. Uh, there is a deleted scene here. That goes on for longer. I mentioned it earlier. You find out that his family tends to bloat as they get older <laughs> and that they spent their honeymoon on Santorini and Mykonos. Um, so the question I was going to ask, but I think you kind of asked of it, answered it, is do both these people change over the course of this film or is it just one of them? I didn't think so, you've, but you've convinced me. Okay. She changes. She becomes bolder, uh, more sure of what she wants. But it's a very, it feels like quite microscopic compared to him. It's his story. It's called When Harry Met Sally. Mm, as it should be. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, they toyed with the idea of doing a sequel. Um, no. But Billy Crystal said, yeah, Billy Crystal and Rob Reiner presented on stage a few years ago and he talked about it. He said, but if there's a happy ever after, they're living there and she's ordering off the menu. So there's no need for us to do it. But they did do a play version. There was a stage version on the London stage in 2004. Do you know who played Harry and Sally? Oh, no, tell me. Uh, Sally was Alison Hannigan. Oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, Harry was uh, Luke Perry. Oh, okay. Okay, I can go with that. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, the Guardian said, instead of a stage play with depth, range and intimacy, this production is just concerned to deliver what the public already knows and loves. Seeing this was like a coach party drive-in video rental. 
Uh, two hours is a long time to spend in a theatre just for a fake orgasm. What's the sketch? Did anyone <laughs> Did anyone <clears throat> watch the, there's a sketch when I went on to Amazon to click on this? There's a When Harry Met Sally 2 starring Billy Crystal and Her- Helen Mirren. It's a funny or die skit. No, no one watched I haven't it. seen it. I wish I'd watched it now, but I didn't, so I have no more <laughs> All you had to do was press play. You're going to bring it up. <laughs> what was it you were saying earlier about the way you tell a story? It's really important. I kind of figured it's the sort of thing you'd have done if you mentioned in the stage show, so that's on you, Chris. Okay, thanks for bringing it up. Great. Um, should we do the bits? Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, Victoria, what is your favourite scene? You're going to laugh, but I... I just think about this scene all the time. It's when Carrie Fisher turns down the index card. Mm. So the reason it's my favourite scene of possibly in my top five scenes ever of anything is, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting overexcited. I'll try and slow down. So uh, Carrie Fisher suggests that Sally goes out with Ken Diamond and Sally says he's been married for over a year. And so in uh, Marie's index card, she folds it down to denote married. And I don't know if this is true, but I imagine the way that the script worked out is that you you don't need that joke there. You don't need to fold the card down because your friend saying he's been married for over a year is kind of enough. And when I think about the admiration I have for working that joke so much and how much work it takes to make a good script, to make a, to make a script any way decent and to take what would have been a good script because Nora Ephron was an amazing writer, but to make it great and to go back through every single line and make it as elegant as that, that is what I think of when I'm trying to write something because that is what it takes. And that's why I love that scene. Oh, but I imagine Carrie Fisher was doing that in real life. Yeah, and it probably is. It might even be an improv. It's not even in the script, but that's no, what I think of it. When you, if you want to write anything, you have to be as good as that. Yeah. Alex? Oh, my answer is going to speak volumes about the different things we find funny because I have written down as my favourite scene and the time that I laugh the most, uh, which is when at the start he's eating grapes in the car oh, and he goes to spit the pips out of the window, but the window's still rolled up and the pips splat on the side and he just looks fine and goes, I'll roll down the window. <laughs> Uh, there is a deleted scene uh, that I'm glad they cut from that scene where he actually takes the grapes and put them in his puts them in his cheeks and starts doing Don Corleone. Oh, I forgot to. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> um, I'm I like uh, I like the four way call. I like the rhythm of it. I like it's like a vocal dance and the timing is impeccable. And apparently they did it <laughs> the whole thing live, so it was very tough to shoot that. But I just think it's very funny. Um, but also, I hate you. It gets mm. me quite emotional when she says, "I yeah, hate you." It's really good. Uh, MVW, most valuable, whatever. Alex. Uh, I'm picking uh, two for this because, you know, whatever. Um, my most valuable whatever is the relationship between Carrie Frisher and Bruno Kirby. Mm. I think it's absolutely fantastic and never more so. Uh, I, this could have been my best scene, uh, but it's, I've, I've moved it to MVW. It's the bit where they're uh, both promising Harry and Sally that they'll wait before <laughs> making a move on each other after dinner at the restaurant when they realise it's each other that they're like and they're both like, of course, mm. time will pass because I know I was here for the other person. And then it finishes and he just goes, well, I don't feel like walking anymore tonight. I think I'll get a cab. And she goes, I'll come with you. Great, taxi! <laughs> so good. And it's done at such pace. Even the taxi screeches off mm. at high speed. And you're like, every beat of that scene is perfect. Vicky? Uh, it's Nora Ephron and this script. Ah, good. The way I feel about this script is it's almost embarrassing because I've like a religious adoration for this. I revere this thing. Mm. It's got a life of its own to me. It des- it's like it's got a personality. She's the best observer of men and women. Rob Reiner said that's yeah. why she was so good. Uh, good. I'm glad you picked that. I'll strike that off my list. Uh, 
the clothes. I can't not say the clothes. Yeah. You turned me into a style icon for six months in 1991. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> made you invisible to women. <laughs> uh, but I do like the way it means the film hasn't particularly dated. Uh, but I'm going to say Harry Connick Jr., Oh, lovely. Um, because we haven't really talked about that, but his work with the musical arranger, Mark Shaman, they put a fresh spin on those old standards and they turned the tunes into a score, which they really cleverly integrated into the film. And so now when you hear that music, you see these images. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, and it's a great album as well. If you haven't got the soundtrack to When Harry Met Sally, it's a belter. And what would you change, if anything, Victoria? I mean, I've really thought about this. It's really hard. Um so what I'd change is Marie's wedding dress. <laughs> it's fucking horrible. And it takes me out of the film because it's so horrible. And I wonder if it's horrible on purpose. See, I overthink this. Is it horrible on purpose? Because then Sally's like, oh, Marie, you look beautiful. And we, you know, people do lie to their friends all mm. the time because she does not look good. She looks dreadful. Mm. So doesn't, doesn't, doesn't Sally start that with, can I be honest? And you're like, here comes the yeah, joke. Yeah. And she goes, you look incredible. You look and you're incredible. like, lie? <laughs> yeah. Lie? So just change it for something. So it's obvious she's lying to protect her friend or just make it nice. Alex? Uh... You know, we see um, Joe and Sally briefly at the airport when Billy meets them. I think it might have been nice. I can't decide. I think it might have been nice to have had a, the briefest of snapshots of Harry's life with Helen. Like if they'd all bumped into each other or when Sally was single, she bumped into them. Because you hear a lot about how happy he was with her and he talks about the happiness and how heartbreaking it was when she left. And if you just sort of had a glimpse of that as opposed to the minute that they meet with Ira and that's the only time you see her in the movie, I think that might have been kind of interesting. Mm. Um, I We've already established that the scene where they do the funny voices in the museum has to go. Pecan pie. We've established that, so I'm not picking that. <laughs> uh, we've got to retroactively get rid of the orgasm scene. Uh, because it put doubt in the minds of men and I'd rather go through life with blind confidence. I, can I say that you do a bit anyway? So, uh, I'm not accepting that, not one bit. Just because you don't like it. I don't think you're allowed to do that in this section. I think the bits are just, they're, <laughs> bits. Sort of, they're set in stone. That's yeah. why they're the bits. They're set in stone. <laughs> the orgasm scene has gone. Yep. That's it. How are we going Sally's done? Just watch it on a plane, Chris. <laughs> watch it on a plane. <laughs> All right, lovely. Uh, are we doing a quiz? We are. This could be uh, potentially the worst quiz we've ever done. Yeah! I'm sold. <laughs> um, because it's to do with my face blindness. And if you've got the same face blindness, then we're fine. If you haven't, we've got a problem. Question, what's face blindness? Face blindness. Right. The quiz is called Pullman or Daniels. So oh. I get Bill Pullman and Jeff Daniels confused a lot. Okay. So I'm going to say a film or a role, and I want you to say Daniels or Pullman. <laughs> okay. So if you don't you suffer mean from this issue... The two men who look completely different and have made very different films throughout their careers. Okay, this should be good. Um, all right. He was the hero... You've got to say Daniels or Pullman. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> uh, he was the hero in Arachnophobia. Daniels. Daniels. Okay. That's a point each. Um, he acted opposite Ant and Deck in their sci-fi comedy Alien Autopsy. No. I've never seen I've it. Never, no. <laughs> no, no. Neither. neither. <laughs> ne- is that an option? Neither. Pullman. Pullman. Sorry. He's not in that, is he? Bill Pullman. Oh, no. Correct. Uh, this actor got his big break in terms of endearment. Daniels. I don't know. You can't say one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Pullman. Um, 
It is Jeff Daniels. You weren't sure yourself, though. <laughs> it was written down in front of you. Because he's got face blindness. <laughs> which one's which? He he'll never know. <laughs> he's had to re- re- rewrite this list several times. Played the dad in the live-action 101 Dalmatians. Pullman. Bill Pullman. It's Jeff Daniels. You both got it wrong. <laughs> but only because I haven't seen it. No, because I can't You've seen 101 them. Dalmatians, 100%. Uh, played the villain in Looper. Pullman. No, it's not Bill Pullman. Jeff Daniels. Correct. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's not I, don't, easy. I don't remember either of them. Being I don't, Looper. to be honest. But I just knew it wasn't Bill Pullman. Fine. But... Played Gina Davis's husband in A League of Their Own. Pullman. Pullman. Correct. <laughs> uh, played the dad in Casper. Daniels. Pullman. Oh, Pullman. It's Pullman. <laughs> it's very confusing, isn't it? Uh, played former Apple CEO John Scully in Steve Jobs. Daniels. Daniels. Correct. Oh, that was definitely Daniels. Um, starred in the American version of The Grudge. Dolman. Pullman. Panels. <laughs> Pullman. Not Bill Pullman. Correct. And uh, played a bloke with a similar name to his own in both Equalizer movies. Daniels. Yeah, probably. Da- no, Pullman. It's Pullman. Yeah. Is it? Correct. Alex wins. Well uh, done. Woo! It wasn't as easy. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. You're right. That was a good quiz in the end. I had a tiebreaker who lent his voice to the animated comedy Space Chimps, but... Bill Pullman. <laughs> Correct. Um, <laughs> classic Daniels. What was the quiz called, just for record? Pullman or Daniels. Pullman or Daniels. That was a, a classic, a classic Clash Pod quiz there. <laughs> Uh, all right, then. Uh, we are coming back on Thursday to talk about the challenge of this week while you were sleeping. Uh, but looking even further ahead, obviously, January is round the corner. And we're handing Clash of the Titles over to you, aren't we, Chris? Yeah, as you know, we are getting you to pick the films for all of January. You've been sending in your emails. They've been awesome. And we've picked our first audience Pairing, and it's from Martin and I can't tell you the films yet but I can give you the clue the clue is it's a small world after all it's a small world after all those are the clues for our first listener chosen Clash Pod pairing looking forward to it looking forward to it um, have a great new year from all of us here at Clash Pod uh, will new year have happened by no, the time Thursday no. <laughs> Okay. We're in between. I'm getting in early. I'm getting in early in case I forget on Thursday because I'm, I'm talking about Sandy, Sandy B. But have a, a great new year. I'm not here on Thursday, I've just decided. Uh, please do carry on rating and reviewing us wherever you get the podcast from. Uh, Spotify, Apple, anywhere, and subscribe to us. Hugely appreciated. Back on Thursday to talk while you were sleeping. See you then. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.